open your Bible to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Brother Eric read this a little while ago. And tonight, the Lord willing, I'm going to speak on the subject, Countdown to Crucifixion. Countdown to Crucifixion. That's rather a strange subject. We're talking about both the crucifixion of Christ and our own crucifixion. And Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live by the, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now you think of that. That's a nugget of gold from the garden of God. I am crucified with Christ. And how much that lines up with the sixth chapter of Romans, where Paul said, I am dead, but I'm alive. I am dead to self and dead to sin, but I'm alive to Christ. And it all happened at Calvary. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the door of heaven and let us in. And William Cooper, out of the depression of his soul, wrote the words, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. William Copper almost committed suicide. He was so depressed. He was so concerned about his own life and his own sins and his own failure. And he sat down one day contemplating just ending it all. And somebody had told him about the grace of God at Calvary. He opened the scripture that someone had pointed him to and he began to read. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And he read on about the blood that came from his hands and his feet and from the wounded side. And that's when he sat down and wrote there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, the flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. When we think of the countdown to crucifixion, I would ask you to come with me to the Holy Land. 
We cross the ocean by flight. We land in Tel Aviv. And then we begin a tour of that little tiny nation with only about five or six million people. It measures about 60 miles wide and at its longest, no more than 200 miles. It rises in the east and in the north on Mount Hermon, where the transfiguration took place. And the Jordan River begins to trickle down from the various sources at Mount Hermon. It forms a little pool at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And then it begins to go down and it forms the Sea of Galilee. And then on the south end of the Sea of Galilee, that river takes its course and it plunges down, down, down to 1,300 feet below sea level, the lowest spot on earth and the highest place, the hottest place on earth. And it is in this setting, the Son of God came to earth, born in Bethlehem, just a few miles from the Jordan River, just six miles south of Jerusalem. The wise men came saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? The shepherds came and they worshiped him. They brought him the gifts of their heart. And then they went out and noised abroad that Jesus was born, the savior was born. Go tell it on the mountain, go tell it everywhere. Jesus Christ is born. And Mary pondered all these things in her heart because she did not understand. There came a day in Jesus' earthly ministry. He had healed the lame, caused the blind to see, interrupted funeral processions, raised dead people to life. And he said, let's go up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples said, no, Lord. They sought to kill thee recently at Jerusalem. And Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He said, for this cause came I forth. In other words, he said, I came not to be just an example, not just to be a philanthropist, not just to be a healer, not just to be a teacher. I came to die. And when you think of this, I want you to think of some scriptures that relate this. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, and Jesus going up to, to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man shall be betrayed under the chief priests and under the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and they shall deliver him to be to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Well, the disciples didn't quite know what to make of this. They didn't understand. And we read over in Luke chapter 22, some very important passages. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the 12. He went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might destroy them and betray them, betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to him with money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto whom, unto them in the absence of the multitude. This is that ignoble character, Judas. Judas Iscariot. Of all the people in the New Testament, 
and of all the people in the ignoble annals of history, including Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and Tojo and all the others, none has ever been so dastardly evil as Judas Iscariot. Jesus said of him one day, he is the son of perdition. That means he was never saved. He was lost, but he was a member of the church. He was a member of Christ's church, the first church, the early church, those 12 apostles. One of them was a hell-bound sinner. He had opportunity after opportunity to be saved, but he rejected every opportunity. And today, within God's church, there are some who have never been regenerated. They've never been born again. They're in, but they're not in. They're on their way out. And one day it will be revealed for what they are. The countdown to Calvary continues as Judas Iscariot behind the scenes makes plans to betray the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. The other disciples didn't know it. It's interesting to me how little discernment so many lay people have. And I do not, I'm not one of the Nicolaitans who believes there's a, a difference in the way lay people and clergy ought to live. I don't even like the word clergy. Please don't ever refer to me as reverend. Only God is revered or reverend. I'm not clergy, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But I wanna tell you, I've observed through the years that many, many times God's people don't have the discernment to recognize when someone is on the way out. And many, many times through the years, certainly not just in our church, I'd say very exceptionally in our church, but in many churches, people take stands with another layman against the man of God. And that's what happened among the disciples. Judas one day said this expensive perfume that you've anointed the feet of Jesus with could be sold and uh, bring a lot of money. Some of the other disciples thought that was a good idea. And Jesus said, you have the poor with you all the time, but me, you have not always. Jesus never went about bragging that he was the son of God, but from time to time, he let it be known who he was and why he came. And as we see the countdown to Calvary and the countdown to crucifixion, Jesus was dying to himself. Look in Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. Listen to this. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when he was at the place, he said to them, pray that ye enter not in temptation. And he was withdrew, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou wilt be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from the prayer and was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them, why sleep ye? Rise and eat, rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now here, Jesus is in Gethsemane. Just a few moments before, he was in the upper room. 
He had instituted the Lord's Supper. He had washed the disciples' feet, according to John 13, the only place that's mentioned. He was relating to the disciples that the master is not above the servant. And the servant and the Lord are on the same par. And he said, if I've washed the disciples' feet, why do you not wash one another's feet? In this passage, he was not talking about what sometimes is observed in a church called foot washing. There's nothing wrong with foot washing. Everybody ought to have their feet washed at least once a week. But that was not the point that Jesus was making. Peter said, Lord, don't just wash my feet, wash me all over. And Jesus said, you don't need that. You've already been washed. You need to be cleansed. Which meant that all through the history of the church, we need to have a time of cleansing over and over and over again. Salvation is once for all. The new birth is once for all. The cleansing needs to come day by day. And Jesus taught tremendous truths. And in that garden experience, he left his disciples there to pray. And he went further. And if you go to Jerusalem today, down across the brook Kidron into that church of the uh, Gethsemane, you can see the big rock. I don't know whether it's the same rock or not, but traditionally it's the rock upon which Jesus fell and prayed and great drops of blood, sweat came from him as he wrestled with Calvary and Calvary was settled that night. Not my will, but thine be done. Some believe the devil was trying to kill Jesus that night. Some other way other than the cross. You see, if Jesus had died of a heart attack, if he had died of loneliness, if he had died by some kind of a blow on the head, we wouldn't have had a redeemer. He had to go to the cross. It was of necessity. This cross was from the foundations of the world before the world was ever formed. God planned a way for man, sinful man, to get back to God. And that was the way of the cross, the blood-sprinkled way. And as we continue looking at these, this countdown to Calvary, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 26, please. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 58, this is a sad time. After Gethsemane, he was arrested there at Gethsemane and all the disciples fled except two, Peter and John. John stayed close by the Lord. And when they got to Caiaphas's hall and Pilate's hall, apparently John went in. But Peter followed afar off. Notice Peter couldn't flee. He didn't know where else to go. Where could I go but to the Lord? He tried to follow, but he was scared out of his wits. He knew if they'd arrested Jesus, they'd kill him. They're probably gonna kill Peter. And so he thought, well, I'll just follow afar off. And in the record it says, beginning in verse 58, Matthew 26, but Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Then if you will turn your page to verse 69 to 75, look at this. And 
Peter sat without in the palace and a damsel came in him saying, thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out to the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And, and again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou also art one of them for thy speech betrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said, he said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now I want you to notice about Simon Peter, this countdown to Calvary. Peter failed an important task, an important test. When Jesus was on trial, Peter was on trial too. And when Peter was on trial, he forgot who he was. He forgot that the way of the cross speaks of a cross. Jim Elliott wrote to his mother shortly before he died at the hands of the Orcas Indians. Jim Elliott said, Mother, I ask you to pray for me that I will have the spirit of the short-lived one, Jesus. And then he said, Mother, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliot died. And the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And in Jim's place, some years later, another missionary wife went down to the AUKUS Indians and through the work of Dayuma, an AUKUS Indian girl who had come out of the woods and was cultivated and brought to civilization and was won to Christ by the missionaries and brought to America where she could study. Then they went back to that AUKUS Indian area. And Ms. Elliot went into the woods with Dayuma. And she said, now you must go to your people. You've been gone a long, long time. They think you're dead. You go, but go with the message. And when you give the message, if it's open time for us to come, we'll come and help you. And Dayuma went into the village and they were all amazed that this girl who'd been gone so long was now with them again. She knew how to speak the AUKUS language. And she began to tell them about Jesus and found there was an opening. And then she went back into the woods and found the missionary and said, it's time to come, you all come. And they went down in there and the AUKUS Indians today know the Lord because she was willing if need be to die because Jim Elliott and his associates died on the beaches of the AUKUS Indians. This happened while I was still in Lansing, Michigan. And when it happened, the next day there came out great big papers that said the foolish missionaries, they knew these people were uncivilized. They should never have gone and landed in that place. They just threw their lives away. We don't feel sorry for them at all. You see, they did not understand the mandate of heaven. 
They do not understand that even in this room tonight, God may be putting his hand on somebody and saying, I want you, I want you on the altar for Christ. It may mean your death. It may mean your life, but surrender it to the Lord and let him have it. That's what God was saying to Peter. And Simon Peter failed the test when he saw them all against Jesus. And then they started to accuse him of being one of the followers of the Nazarene prophet. After a while, he began to curse and swear and say, I don't even know him. The denial of Simon Peter. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Peter because there are many of us today who do something similar. You get with crowds that don't care anything about God and they cuss and they swear and they talk dirty and they're, they're, they're critical and they murmur. But what do you do? What do you do about it? You stand there and listen. Oh, I understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're dirty jokes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And they began to swear and curse and you do the same thing. So did Simon Peter. But when the cock crowed, Simon Peter remembered. And there's one passage that says, the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of Peter met for a moment. And what a terrible sting in Peter's heart. Just a few hours before the Lord had said, Peter, you'll deny me before the cock crows. And the rooster was out there crowing and Peter knew he had denied the Lord and he went out and wept bitterly. I want you to notice the difference in Judas and Peter. When Judas found that he betrayed Jesus and they were gonna crucify him, he went down to the priest's office and he took the 30 pieces of silver and he said, here, take it back, let the man go. And they took the money and they said, what is that to us? And they threw it down on the steps. And Judas went out and hanged himself. He didn't know what else to do. He had never known the Lord. If he had known the Lord, he could have come even then to the Lord and say, dear Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I've been with you three years and never did know you at all. And there may be somebody in this room tonight who's been in the church, who's been in the fellowship of believers. You've even taken the Lord's Supper. You've been in Sunday school or training union and church, and you've never known the Lord. These are countdowns to Calvary. What happened to Peter? Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin. Do you suppose for a moment Jesus kicked Peter out because of that? As dastardly and ugly as it was? Not on your life. A few days later, the disciples were out fishing. Peter decided to go on fishing and Jesus appeared in the resurrected glorified form and was fixing breakfast for them. And when they came near the shore, they saw this familiar figure on shore. On shore and, and John said, Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter got back in the water because he was naked. How different that is today when some of God's people prayed around with practically nothing on. I almost dread for summer to come when these women start wearing shorts. I don't believe that's ever God's plan for you ladies. 
and some men do the same thing, wear practically nothing. Isn't that strange that Peter got some clothes on when he knew Jesus was there? And today, because your standards are set by Hollywood and your standards are set by the television, you see how much you can take off. And they have all these nudity scenes in television and in the movies. I don't believe that saints of God can look at that without blushing. If you can look at that and it doesn't bother your heart, you better check up on your salvation. Are you a citizen of the earth or are you a citizen of heaven? The citizens of heaven would say, this world is not my home. The citizens of the earth say, well, the preacher's too cranky. The church has too high standards. The old school ought to be done away with because they tell you that you need to wear certain clothes and, and behave a certain way. Well, just check up on your heart. Where's your citizenship? If the end should come tonight, the Lord should come again. Wouldn't it be an awful thing if we'd be caught up and some be standing down here that are members of the church and we'd have to say farewell with tears. Can't believe you were with us all this time and, and you heard the warnings of the preacher. You heard the warnings of the scripture and you didn't pay any attention and now you stay behind in the great tribulation. And because you've heard the gospel, you will believe the lie of the antichrist and you'll never be saved. You'll spend eternity away from God. Count down to crucifixion. You see, we're not only talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, we're talking about our own crucifixion. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Will you open your Bibles to Romans chapter six for a moment? Romans chapter six. Look at verse six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. I wanna tell you when you get saved, you still have the old nature, but the old nature is crucified with Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that that old nature is under the love of God. It's under the crucifixion, it's under the cross. And when you feel it trying to get out and control your life, if you're really God's child, the Holy Spirit will whisper to you, don't do that, don't do that. And if you have no internal witness, no internal spirit speaking to your heart, please, I beg you, I pray you, check up on your work, check up on your experience. If you can know Christ and you still have a stubborn spirit and you still have a rebellion spirit, rebellion is like hell. It is like the sin of witchcraft. Some girls and guys rebel against their parents or against their grandparents and are mean and ornery and ugly to them. That's the old man coming out. And Jesus said that old man has to be crucified 
crucified with Christ. That's what Paul meant when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Look in your Bible at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Listen to this. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. And look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. A marvelous passage. Brother Teddy preached on this this afternoon at the retirement center. This is what God says. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Notice the kinds of grace there are. There's dying grace. There's grace in the time of affliction. Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh. I asked God three times to remove it. And he said, no, but my grace is sufficient for thee. But the scripture here is speaking of saving grace, the grace that brings salvation. Now listen carefully. I don't believe in the foxholes of Iwo Jima, in the foxholes of Vietnam, Normandy, wherever they were. Those people that prayed, Lord, let me get home. Lord, help me out of this terrible fix. God in his infinite grace answered that prayer. And many came back to the states, still rebellious in their heart against God. But they were able to say, yes, God answered a prayer of mine for over there, but I didn't do anything about it. I didn't serve him. I didn't live for him. I didn't honor him. You see, God makes it rain on the just and the unjust alike. Many times God answers the prayer of a sinner, not because he is obliged to, he doesn't have to, but because of his great mercy. And in the prayer meeting yesterday morning, we read his mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. The grace of God doesn't bring tolerance, it brings mercy. God hates sin, but God is always open to the cry of those who will call to him. Now the grace that's spoken of here is the grace that changed your life. Have you had that? Are you sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven? The grace that bringeth salvation teaches us some things. Number one, that we should deny the un ungodliness and worldly living. Now, ungodliness means no reverential awe. I don't know how people can be in the house of God and talk and chew their chewing gum, and get up and walk in and out of the church and so on over and over again. I don't know how they can do that. This is God's holy place. Do you suppose for a moment when you get home to heaven, you're going to walk up with all those beautiful things that are spoken of in Revelation 4 and 5 and, and the throne and all the beauties of the throne. And you go, oh, Lord, glad I'm here. You're not going to do that. No. And I don't believe you ought to chew chewing gum in church either. But you see, that's just a minor thing. I found notes 
from some kids that were not very careful with what they wrote. And they wrote ugly things. I guess they thought the person they passed the note to would hide it or put it away or throw it away. Sometimes they're found right in the auditorium. Sometimes those notes are filthy. Young people, I'm not against you. I love you. But I want to tell you, you need to learn how to behave in the house of God. And I think it's not just young people. I heard about those people that paid $300 for a ticket to some ball game. I think that's a sin for a Christian. I don't know whether any our people did that. I hope not. Nothing on earth could be that exciting. If you're going to pay $300, give it, add it to your tithe and give it to God's church. It's more exciting than those ball games. What I'm saying is the grace of God that brings salvation, that changes your life, teaches some things. It's not just a little old syrupy, ooey-gooey kind of thing. Well, I had an experience and boy, I cried and I joined the church, hadn't changed anything about me. Jesus saves. What does he save from? He doesn't only save from hell, he saves from yourself, your old self's nature, your old sin, your old wicked, wicked ideas. God saves you when you really get saved. There's a lady in our church. I don't think she's here tonight. She told me a few weeks ago, I've gone eight weeks with no smoking, no cigarettes. Please keep on praying for me. Mickey testifies that the hardest habit he had to quit, sneak, quit was not just drugs and liquor, but smoking, cigarettes. I believe God can give you victory over that. God can give you victory over liquor, over beer, over drugs. The grace that brings salvation teaches us denying ungodliness, that is without reverential awe, and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why did Jesus die on a cross? There was no other way for us to be brought back to God. As I said a little earlier, if he had been choked or hit on the head or stoned or thrown over the cliff of the mountain like they tried to do in his day, we wouldn't have had a savior. When they brought Jesus to the brow of the hill at Nazareth that overlooked the valley of Jehoshaphat, the bloodiest battle in the world, and they were about to throw him down, the Bible says he just disappeared out of their presence. It wasn't time. But when he came to Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thine be done. They arrested him. They took him to Caiaphas and Pilate and Herod and back to Pilate. And Pilate washed his hands and said, I find no fault in this man. What will you that we do with him? And they said, release Barabbas, who was a murderer and an insurrectionist. Deliver unto us and crucify Jesus. And so the Son of God went out to Calvary. And he who knew no sin became the literal cursed thing. You think of all the ugly things that's ever happened in your life. You think of those boys that the other day killed 
those precious children and that teacher. You think of the Greenleaf kidnapped murderer, murderer a few years ago over in Missouri where this little child was kidnapped and then buried alive. You think of the rapists. You think of Adolf Hitler who gave the command for six million Jews to be exterminated and they put them in boxcars like cattle and shipped them across Germany and to Poland and there they met their end. All of those sins were put on Jesus. And if Adolf Hitler had cried out for mercy at the end of his life, Jesus would have saved him. If those boys over there would call out to God, God, we're in trouble. We did this dastardly, horrible thing. Lord, forgive us. Jesus will forgive if they'll make his soul an offering for their sin. All the sins in your life tonight, you think of them. The cursing, the swearing, the impurities, the selfishness, the cheating, the lying. It was all put on Christ. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Count down to Calvary. Next Sunday I want to speak on the magnets of the cross. And then the next Sunday, the glorious resurrection. But every one of us needs to examine his own heart. We'll take the Lord's Supper on Easter Sunday night. And when we do, it is a time of self-examination. Am I really on my way to heaven? Is Jesus my Lord and my Savior? What have I given up for him? Count down to Calvary. Count down to crucifixion. Listen. Can you honestly say tonight, I am crucified with Christ? I'll go with him through the garden. I'll go with him through the judgment. He will give me grace and glory and go with me all the way. I can hear the Savior calling. What's he saying to us tonight? Beginning with this preacher, every one of our deacons, all of our choir, and all of our teachers, and every person here tonight, what is the Lord saying? Countdown to crucifixion, not only Jesus' crucifixion, but mine and yours. Can we say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May we pray. Our heads bowed before God for just a moment, please. I want to thank you for letting me preach tonight this husky voice. If you're here without Jesus, or you're not sure, or there's something in your life that need to be, needs to be changed, God can change it. We have a change specialist, a rescue specialist, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, King Jesus can touch our lives and make us whole. And where there are problems, he will be a wise counselor he will whisper to our heart, this is the right way. And even though it's tough and a little lonely, 
I'll be with you and I'll never forsake you. Our Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching the word of God tonight. Thank you for every person here. Oh God, help us to prepare to be crucified with Christ. Thank you for all Jesus did at the cross for us. But may we, as a follow-up of that, line up with the Savior and say by the grace of God, I want to be crucified with him. And the life which I now will live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It will be Christ calling the signals inside of my heart.